OTB Sports Golf Weekly with Now TV. Stream live football action with a Now TV Sky Sports Pass. Your sport on your terms. I'm a very confident front runner. I've carried for 33 years, 145 wins now, and that's the best win I've ever had. I have no idea what you have. I don't know. Um, how are we going to count all the shots? If you, I, I can't keep track. Fuck! God damn it! I don't think he's pleased. Of course you would. That's a, that's a particularly stupid question. If they are, show up. Of course you want to play at the weekend. Hello, Golf Weekly listeners. You're once again welcome along to the podcast. There's so much to discuss. Well, there's not really much going on in truth, but we're uh, here nonetheless. Fionn Davenport, hello to you. Hey, Joe. And Peter Laurie's Bowell Driving Range, thankfully opening again very soon next week. Hello to you, Touch Peter. wood, Joe. Touch wood. How are you? Very well. You must be itching just to get open again and get some kind of normality back. Exactly. Uh, and I'm fed up with uh, drainage work and stuff like that, so... I'd be delighted to get people back in the door. Mm, the glamour of drainage work. Yeah. <laughs> so we got great reaction to last week's pod. Claude Harmon was on. We were talking Masters. Obviously, we talked a good bit about Rory as well. Peter, you had to leave us early. We might pick up a few thoughts and some other bits and bobs from the Masters. But uh, for instance, and the love in here is disgusting, so you'll excuse me for a moment. Mick Walsh, great pod. By far the best part was uh, podcasting trailblazer legend Peter Laurie showing up in his car disappointed he didn't stay on for the drive home so he was happy to see you in the car peter uh gary harkin lads you're knocking it out of the park at the minute super guests colin burke enjoyed the pot as ever lads out of interest are you limited in what questions you can put to a guest generally no uh Claude Harmon came on there was no pre-arranged questions no off-limits questions well, i guess you show or try to show a certain degree of uh fairness i mean you're not going to go in there and be like here was your dad Bitter when Butch and Tiger split up there. What happened there? You know, you're not going to go in for that. But no, there was no limit. We're bound by the boundaries of decency and uh, defamation. <laughs> That's it, uh, really. You, decency. You, you, and it's, you, you guys are, but I, I, I can pretty much say whatever I want. Yeah. Mm, it's funny, interesting, which is <laughs> because done. the exact opposite of that is, is true. <laughs> um. But yeah, I, it's a funny one because afterwards you're thinking, what else do you, you can dig dirt or you can ask, ask about DJs. Do you remember when he took six months off? I just feel is like, you know, hmm. I don't know if it's, I mean, it's not an inappropriate question. It just, it didn't really fit. You know, it's like, what is it? How does it, it's like, we all know what the rumors were. Hmm. We all know what the stories were at the time. Yeah. You know, but he's just won the Masters. It's like such a See, weird... He's yeah. just won the Masters. Maybe if it was a cold, logical career retrospective when DJ yeah. had retired, then you bring yeah. up some of that stuff. But yeah. the day after he's won the Masters, talking to his coach of over a decade, is that really where you're going to go? Yeah, it, it, it also as well as from a broadcasting perspective, and, and Joe, you know this as well as any of us, but like you're trying to figure out what the corridor through the interview is. And mm. you ask a question like that and doors just shut. And all of a sudden, every other question you have, just it's difficult. It just... There's always that balance. You yeah. want to push it up to whatever line is yeah. there. I'm not talking specifically about Claude, but no. you want to keep the interview going. You want to ask the other 10, 15 questions. Like he gave us over half an hour, I think, the day after Johnson had won the Masters. I mean, if you 
you lead off with dodgy questions, he's going to start looking at his watch pretty quickly. Well, he's just going, hey, guys, listen, thanks yeah. a lot. You'd yeah. like to have him back on as well, you know, every six months. That's the other thing. You want yeah. him to enjoy it, you know? Which isn't the same thing as saying, oh, you know, we, we will never ask questions that would make oh, a guest but, uncomfortable. That's but sorry, I, I, I gave him the avenue to do it because I said, look, Johnson was a slightly chubbier looking fella back in the day. He's clearly <laughs> got himself together. And, you know, he, there were certainly the, the rumors that he enjoyed nightlife and he seems like he's uh, more together now. Was there a moment that happened or was there an yeah. influence or a reason that happened? And then he started talking, you know, he gave us a great insight. He, he, he took the question, but he said, I'm going to talk about him now. And he gave us a great insight into what Johnson's regime is now, as opposed to getting too much into the past. And I think when a guest does that, especially someone as intelligent as Claude, you have to say, okay, you knew what my question was giving you the option to talk about. You haven't done that. There's no need for me to push it again. The only question, I th ha having read that tweet, the only question I thought, mm, perhaps one question that I would have liked to have asked would have been, talk like, you know, there's a kind of a thing that DJ was hot favorite to win the Masters in 2017 and then slipped and hurt himself in the cabin. So I would have enjoyed, like, I, I, it would have been interesting if Claude had shone a light on the extent of, you know, how injured he was, how disappointing it must have been, yeah. particularly as Johnson came into that tournament as, as maybe not hot favourite, but certainly as as a prohibitive yeah. favourite. Nathan was going to ask about Butch working with Tiger, but we didn't, we just ran out of time. Sorry, Peter. No, there's one or two, um, uh, being a coach, it seems to be very difficult to get your timings right with your different players. Um, that's one of the questions I probably would have asked him if I'd been on. How does he focus his time on certain players at, at any given time? Like DJ is his, is his number one, really, uh, at this moment in time. But he also works with Brooks, does he not? Yeah. Um, and, and a couple of other players. Um, and how does he focus from one to the other to the other? And does he work in a particular way or does he work with a, um, you know, certain swing thoughts, you know, and how each each player is different, you know, mm -hmm. like I, I know personally, like a lot of guys on tour um, are all different in the way they swing the club, but mentally they're totally different. You, you know, if you said to one guy, you know, your angle of attack is X, you know, he might quiver with that question and say, well, I never really, you know, I don't know what my angle of mm -hmm. attack is and I don't really want to know. I just want to know how the ball comes back to the club or how the club comes back to the ball. So. Pop quiz, uh, listeners, uh, which one of the three of us is the former European Tour Pro <laughs> asking those insightful questions that we just... <laughs> now I want to know the answer to those questions. That's a good question. Yeah. Anthony O'Connell, I should know the difference between seriously excellent pods and others as I listen to them all now. That felt like five minutes long. That's how quick the time passed. The bar has been raised and then on they go. You were all very kind this week, listeners. Thank you. Yeah. Right says, that was simply brilliant. The Claudia Harmon interview, so insightful. What a coup. It was a great coup. I think Nathan just texted me. I think that was... Nathan's Nathan. class that way. The height of it, yeah. He's, yeah. he's a good man for just firing out some texts. Uh, Matt Dewan, great pod, gents. Rory will win a green jacket once he figures out how to turn a 75 into a 71. Tiger did that so well in the majors. John Figo Flynn, brilliant pod, lads. On it went. Ricky Joyce pulling out the big guns. Fantastic pod. Would love to spend a day with Claude and Butch. I think we all would. Oh, They're yeah. just two of those characters you feel better, I suspect, for hanging out with Peter. They're totally different um, in personality-wise. Um, you'd be amazed. Really? They don't seem that different. 
Yeah, when you when you meet them, they're totally different. Go on. Uh, no, it's just the way they carry on, you know. Um, Butch is, Butch doesn't really talk that much. You know what I mean? I remember playing nine holes with McGinley and Phil Mickelson, and Butch walked around, um, and that was in Abu Dhabi. And but Claude would sit down, and you know, you'd have a chat with Claude. Okay, very good. I didn't know you'd play, played a practice round with McGinley and Mickelson. Yeah, robbed their money too, so it was great. Did you? Oh, check you out. There you nice. go. Yeah. Good. And Abu Dhabi, we played, McGinley organized it. We played nine holes. Um, Phil played with um, one of the invitees from the Butch Harmon School in um, Abu Dhabi. Um, so he got an invite because Phil was playing um, and I was playing through merit at the time, thankfully. Um, and Paul arranged this, played back nine in Abu Dhabi. Oh, and is this the one with the, the Falcon Clubhouse? Yes. I've yeah. played Abu Dhabi National. That's a great... Did you enjoy the course? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so did I. I played there for years, um, mm. but it was a golf course suited to long hitters, and still is. Yeah. Tell us about Phil that day then. What was he like to hang out with? He was superb. Yeah. You know, you couldn't meet a nicer guy. Um, you know, chatted, no problem. Um, but I, he he got me one um, years after we played in um, Thailand. Um, it was I think it was the Johnny Walker or something like that. And um, I remember being on the second hole, and it was a tight tee shot, and I was struggling with my driver at this time. And he comes up onto the tee, and I think, oh. Sh- you know, you, you, when you're struggling with your drivers, the last thing is you want a group on the tee waiting mm. to tee off. So, of course, it real tight tee shot. Of course, I block one right. Then I go, I better hit another one. Um, so I hit another one. Hit, luckily, I scabbed it down the middle of the fairway and I'm walking off the tee. And he just goes, nice pants. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, what a fella, you know. It was just, one of the, just a quote from nowhere, you know. <laughs> Yeah, well, even on based on the match, and there is uh, the match three happening tomorrow, even based on the match, the way he went about his business there, man, he's just a fun person to have in your four ball. Yeah. Chatty, not boring, bit of fun, and obviously a genius. Would he tell, was he, and, and in terms of his practice, was he trying ridiculous shots or was he taking it seriously enough? Uh, no, because we, we were playing for a few quid, so it was, it was serious enough. It wasn't, okay. it was nothing major. Okay. What's a few quid this weather? <laughs> oh no! It was cheap. It was cheap at that. At the, okay. uh, Thousand quid a hole. Yeah. No. 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 Uh, hi, lads. Long time friend of the pod. Just a quick note on the Masters preview and review. I thought it was a bit odd you didn't mention James Sugru at all. It's not often, in fact, ever. Question mark that we have an Irish amateur at the Masters. He shot a one under seventy one, which I think was uh, some sort of record for an RNA amateur. Might be worth getting an interview with him. I see he met Tiger too on the putting green. Mm. I could have a nice take on the Masters experience, staying in the Crow's Nest, etc. I didn't realize they stayed in the Crow's Nest uh, in COVID times. He also played in the US Open. I'm a Galway man myself, so not no, not uh, normally too quick to big up a Cork man's achievements. I'd prefer not to have my name read out on air if you decide to mention this topic. Really enjoy the pod. Uh, keep up it's the definitely work. worth getting, uh, trying to get, to get in touch on. and see if James had come on and talked to us about the experience, just which would be amazing. You know, 100%. From, we will get him on. We will get yeah. James Sugron. We'll beg him to come on. He was on the show uh, a while back, shortly after he won the Open. 
it's a long yeah. time ago now. So we'll, we'll get see, him on for sure. One of the things um, that struck me, and I, I put out the photograph, is that all my life, you always hear mention of the cabins at Augusta. Mm. And particularly when you also know that, you know, this whole thing of like, oh, hamburgers are a dollar. Like there's a, there's a weird price point to do with that. To get into Augusta, you have to be a billionaire. But once you're in, everything is like cheap as chips. Mm. And they keep prices kind of low to that 1950s level or whatever. And I, I always thought that the cabins were kind of a reflection of that, that like when you hear Nicholas talk about the crow's nest back in the 60s and it was all like an amazing thing to experience, but it wasn't the height of comfort. And then I, like in the camera angles that they use this year, which like those drone shots that they use for the first time, and then they panned the cabins. The cabins are like, they're like eight bedroom villas. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's not a cabin. <laughs> it's like, I should, of course, say we are here with thanks to our friends at Now TV, Stream, Premier League, Serie A, EFL Championships and more with a Sky Sports Pass. So um, just as soon as you mentioned the Masters Day, the drone shots, by the way, transform your sense of the course. They're amazing. I mean, drones are transforming TV left, right and centre. I watched The Long Way Up. I don't know if you're into that series, Ewan McGregor and Charlie mm. Borman. They've done couple of trips now they went yeah. um i watched london, the first one did you london to new york yeah. only east and then they went down to, through south africa about seven eight years ago so they've gone up uh south america from yeah uh, most southern tip to la but you know so they were all they were always like uh, handheld cameras or you know cameras in their helmets and now suddenly they have drones it's just transformed it it was because yeah. i was watching both around the same time like Augusta, suddenly, I mean, it's 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 amazing. Uh, you get such, such a deeper appreciation for the property. That's probably the word to use. Mm. Changes your view, all right. I wonder how silent they are, because they seem to be be able to get close enough to the players, too. They're not that well, silent, because Tiger was talking about how they couldn't um, hear the uh, ceremonial tee-off because the drones were quite near them at one point. Really? They're not nothing. They're definitely not nothing. No, they're not. But they also have, they have, and I know this just from amateur photography, that the broadcast drones that they use are, are big solid things because obviously, you know, like those little light drones that you can buy for like 500 quid, they just, mm. a little gust or bust of wind will knock them out. So these are big, big things, but yay big. And, um, but the 4K camera and the zoom quality in the cameras are amazing. So when you're controlling, like you can see, you can be a hundred feet up or 150 feet up and zoom right in if mm. you want. So they don't have to be like just over your shoulder. Um, the one thing I noticed, did you notice the amount of bloody fire engine noises or police sirens? Mm. Like, like that's because there's no galleries in the middle of either like a crime wave or <laughs> something else. Mm. It's just constant flow of sirens. Peter, you left us last week and we had talked a lot about Dustin and we had talked about Rory and we ended up having quite a deep and long conversation about Rory even after Claude Harmon. So leaving those aside, Bryson DeChambeau, I was so disappointed with. I take it that he's ill. You know, I accept that he's ill, I rather. But I never saw him took on the golf course the way I thought we were going to see him take on the golf course. Really, the 13th when he was listening for trees at one point was one of the real few times that you kind of thought, oh, this is a bit different or he's playing things, you know, slightly differently to his playing partners. But for most of most of uh, the, certainly Thursday, Friday, 
there was maybe seven, eight, nine, ten yards between him and John Ram. I mean, there was nothing that special about it. I was kind of watching it saying, this is all hype. He has, yes, he's transformed himself, but all he's really done is joined the longer hitters. Yeah, well, I don't think he was too well to be starting mm-hmm. uh, as, as the starting point. Um, and I don't think he felt too comfortable being the favourite either. Um, I think he put an awful lot of pressure on himself and he succumbed to that pressure. And plus, he was kind of found out on, on a golf course with with actual trouble on us. Like, we never saw that trouble ever before um, because of, you'd see, galleries and and they'd find the ball pretty quickly. We were seeing images of of, of him trying to find his golf ball in, in certain areas and John Ram helping him. And I think John Ram got a bit peed off having to go look for his golf ball a few times. Um, but no, he, he, he certainly didn't see him himself and, and he, he didn't play half the golf that he had done in, in the US Open. Um, he didn't look like himself. He didn't swing the club as well as he had been. There was no great power to it that he had. And no, he didn't take on the golf course because I don't think he was able to. I don't think he, he mentally was or physically able to. Mm. So was he almost so bad that you would say, well, I have to put that down to the fact that he was ill, so we're going to see a totally different prospect in April? I, I would think so, yes. Um, but there again, it, it proves my point in the fact that when that swinging at that speed, when it goes minutely wrong, it is just disastrous. Um, and uh, I really think there's a limit to the speed that you can put on the golf club and get it square. Um, and and being a a tour pro and, you know, the height of your game, um, that, that has to be, you know, 99.9% of the time, it has to be square. Um, so swinging at that speed, I don't think you can... He has to rein it back a little bit, I think, to be successful going forward. I don't think he can keep on pushing the outer limits of um, how far he's hitting it to be successful, I think. Mm. It'll be interesting because, as we know, he's thinking about using a longer driver. And so was DJ, Claude Harmon said. He was thinking about it, but he just didn't have that fairway finder fade with the longer driver, so he didn't in the end. I suspect DeChambeau does not share your view. And I think he's looking at things like the way he chipped and, you know, he bladed a few across greens, which again suggests he really was not well. So I think his strategy will be exactly the same come April and he's hoping he's feeling better. You know, I think I think he's looking more at the short game. You can you compare the short game to what he did at the US Open and that's night and day. It is, but he, he also, in on his misses at the US Open, he was able to play play them. This time he was losing golf balls or hacking out of, you know, behind trees and whatever else. Um, you know, he had the option to hit a shot. And we all thought that Augusta was, you know, it's a wide open golf course. You know, you can get away with it. Um, there is no penal rough whatsoever. So I was very surprised at him, to be honest. Hmm. So was, there, was that US Open course then a bit wider? Uh, well, it's, it definitely seemed to be. Yeah. You know, because he, he missed it a few times quite wildly and, and, and certainly got away with it. US Open golf courses mainly don't have, you know, massive amounts of trees. It's all about rough yeah. in the US Opens. 
He just had the ability to, he wasn't so concerned about making fairways because he knew he could gouge it out of the rough with control. Whereas at Augusta, you find yourself in no rough, but behind a tree. So you're poking it out or Mm. you're taking on, you're forced to take on shots that you really shouldn't be taking on with waterfront or, yeah. I mean, Augusta's penal in its own way. And, Mm. but I mean, I think Joe, I mean, obviously we covered it last week, but yeah, I mean, obviously your, your point is right. If he wasn't feeling well, then all bets are off. I mean, I still found his, oh, it's a, it's a par 67 for me, just profoundly irritating. So from, that Tuesday, I just, I pray, I, I just wanted him not to succeed. Mm. You know, he was right in the end with the winning score, though, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What he said is yeah. totally right. The four par fives, and he can he now fancies driving the third. It's a par sixty-seven. He was so unlucky to lose his ball in the third. That was outrageous. He was. He was very unlucky. Yeah. Well, Peter, what about John Ram? My lasting memory of Ram is topping the ball. Is that a choke? If Rory had done that, we'd be talking about that for the next six months. No, I, I think I think he was a bit unlucky, to be honest with you. Um, when, when you look at the shot that he hit, okay, we all hit the odd bad shot. Um, whether it's either lack of concentration or he was trying something that, you know, that was just beyond his ability. Um, but to, for it to finish where it did and then to hit the tree and come back to finish where that did, it was just a calamity of errors mm. and it kind of ruled him out of the tournament there and then. Um, was it not a, just a, like a top double cross? Like he was obviously trying to cut it like that. He's trying that slinging, not quite a, or that cut that's going to bring him up. And Was he not, was he not trying to hook it? I, I, I thought he was trying to hook it and, and kind of uh, got it off the, the, um, the hosel of the club and it ran along the ground. Was it on um, the... Oh, right. He was on the eighth hole. He, he oh, was maybe maybe my, my memory betrays me then because I thought he was trying to cut it, a, hit a low cut that chased up onto the you green. Mean, but You can't cut it on eight. You have to hit, okay, it. Well, then have to hit it right to I've, left. I've, I've misremembered. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and probably he, 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 if, you, if we look back, he was a little bit off the upslope as well. Yeah. So he was probably trying to hit it too hard and you know, these things happen. It's not the end of the world. We all hit, you know, horrendous shots the odd time. Um, yeah. and, and whether they happen at the Masters or whether they happen at your, you know, your Sunday four ball or your Sunday singles, it, it doesn't make a difference. These shots just come out of the blue, whether we've taken our eye off it or, or we've thought too far ahead or whatever it may be. Mm. Um, but they happen. He, uh, They didn't show it on TV, but I read, I can't remember which one of the American journalists who said that, I think it when he when he holed out on the eighth, he had like a proper like one and a half minute long angry, you know, full of Spanish curses and like holding holding the club like this, like he's gonna snap the putter in half and then didn't. But like it was just like one stream of Spanish curses after another, just to obviously expel the frustration. <laughs> but, but his tournament was over then. Like you can't drop. He made eight, didn't he? Yeah, eight or nine, you can't drop those kind of amount of shots uh, on a reachable par five mm. uh, when it's really a par four. Yeah, you know? yeah. So the leaderboard again was Johnson, then Cameron Smith, Sunjay M, fifteen under, Justin Thomas, twelve, Dylan Fratelli, who by the way has put a longer driver in the bag and is now suddenly one of the longest on tour. That's really interesting. So Fratelli, 
if that's the case, if he's now driving the ball that long, then that's more than a flash in the pan performance. So that's worth keeping an eye on. McElroy was alongside him on 11 under. Then Ram and Kepka were 10s. Webb Simpson, 9 under. Patrick Reed, 9 under. It wasn't a stellar leaderboard. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh on this. Patrick Cantley was kind of 17th. Sander Shoffley, 17th. That's exactly where they are in my head. That, you know, for all the talk of Cantley and Shoffley at the moment, I still have them exactly where they finished up, kind of 17th uh, territory. But like you're going into what Fleetwood is 19th, West Hazen, Rose, Lowry, all kind of 23rd, 24th, 25th, Poulter, 25th. Fleetwood surprised a lot of people. Um, you know, he went into the tournament not playing particularly well, didn't play particularly well in the Masters mm. previous to this. Um, but shot really one really, really good round, didn't he? On Friday, was it Friday? He shot 64, 5, 6, somewhere like that. Some Something Just in that territory, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he'd won good round. Uh, Ricky Fowler tied 29th. Are we saying it's over for Fowler? Or his, his days of, you know, that, that run of finishing top two, top three, top four in every single major looked very promising and he seems to have gone off a cliff now totally. What's going on there, I wonder? He's falling out of the top 50 in the world. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's really serious. He may not be at the Masters next year. He's 31 years old. You know, he's on... I mean... I don't know what you think, Peter, but like, yeah, it seems like we just took it for granted that Ricky Fowler was always going to be like a regular top 10, always going to maybe not win a major, but definitely be there, thereabouts, or, and yet. Again, uh, another guy with a suspect kind of golf swing um, that had certain errors in it that could probably lead to, you know, where he is today. Um, excellent when it goes well. Confidence. Etc. Etc. Short game, all works well. Um, but then when it slightly goes off, and then didn't he try and change a swing, very fractionally? Um, and then you're on a road to who knows where at that stage. Well, he, you know, he's left the Harman stable well. now, so yeah. Mm. Still mo the most beautiful putter. Not a great lover of his putting stroke. Oh, jeez, I'd love to no. put like that. It's no, no, no Donald Trump putting stroke. Let's no. be honest. Oh yeah! Did <laughs> you see, see that, that the Peter? other day? No. You've got to see that, but Donald, the Donald Trump putting stroke has to be seen to be believed. He he okay. breaks his wrists worse than anybody I've I've ever seen. It's like he's never seen golf before. It's like he's never but, watched golf. And uh, he doesn't do he doesn't do too many things right, does he? So. But the weird <laughs> thing is, is, is like for a man of his age and his you know size, he has a good shoulder turn. He transfers his weight from right to left quite well on his swing. So he's obviously got the mechanics of golf. Hmm. And when you watch that, you, you think that a guy who's played golf all of his life would have like a more, I don't know, like everybody's got a slightly idiosyncratic swing or whatever. It's fine. But like that wrist break, it's like he brings the putter back and then just like goes like that. Like it's yeah. weird. Like he flicks the putter at the ball. It's the... It's really shocking the first time you see it. Sorry, Ricky Fowler. I thought we were just, I just thought everybody was in agreement, Peter, that Ricky Fowler's putting stroke is the most lovely, loose, flowing, relaxed, whack it in piece of magic out there. No, every time he puts, one of the commentators says, that putting stroke. <laughs> mm. No, not a great lover of it. What? Yeah. Give me, a, it, it, give me the reason. It's, I need to go back and look at it again, but I, yeah. I, I know personally I'm I'm not a great does he not does a lot of is there not a lot of wrist action in it, if I'm if I'm correct. No, that's no. Donald Trump we were talking about, Peter. 
No, 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 no. But Ricky is that. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think that. We'll look, we'll, I'll is, have a look yeah. at it again. You've, you've planted a seed of doubt now. Yeah. Right. So look, that's kind of the Masters where you can't keep rabbiting on about that for too much longer. This week, this week, a few bits going on that I want to get your thoughts on. And uh, no PGA Tour event. It's Thanksgiving. Uh, there mm. is the Alfred Dunhill at Leopard Creek in South Africa on the European Tour. Uh, Stephanie Meadow, friend of the pod. She was on Off the Ball actually earlier this week. She finished third on the LPGA Tour in Florida at the weekend. Old putter sitting around the garage did the trick. And also on the PGA Tour last week, Robert Streb. So, I mean, it, it is amazing golf. Two weeks ago, world number one laps the field at the Masters. That was followed by the RSM Classic in Georgia. Robert Streb, 367th in the world your winner. He hadn't made the top one, two, five on the PGA Tour standings for the last three seasons. In his last dozen rounds before this event, he had broken 73 times and suddenly he pockets $1.188 million. He will be at the Masters in April. He's on the PGA Tour for the next two years and he's jumped 250 places in the world rankings. So there are some of the bits and bobs going on mm. in the world of golf. We might start with Streb there for a moment. It Amazing. is the great thing about golf. It just shows, you know, at 367 on a given week can beat any of the top 20 players in the world. Yeah. I know it was a not as strong a field, but there was well, some good players It wasn't the worst there. field. No, it wasn't. I turned it on to watch Tommy Fleetwood. And I mean, unfortunately, um, or maybe I'm certainly Robert Streb doesn't think unfortunately at all. But, um, you know, the, the, the week after the Masters, which is in April, it's normally Harbortown, isn't mm. it? And, yeah. you know, there's always a drop off. You're never going to get numbers, but like it had an average of 346,000 watch the final round. Um, and these are according to the US ratings, which literally are the worst ratings yeah. you could possibly imagine for a sporting event in the United States. Judge Judy was getting half a million on either. On yeah, either that's channel, what I mean. Almost, and, uh, <laughs> um but like, sorry, just to not to not to bring back to them. But it was an interesting thing. I I I, I like ratings only, mm. not just for the numbers themselves, but what they indicate about where the sport sits or where the event sits in in the popular uh, mind. So, I'm sure we've all been following it. But like, over the last five or six months, is like the NBA finals obviously played in that kind of limited format have all been shown have all shown reduced numbers uh baseball the world series showed reduced numbers and one of the things one of the accusations that was made against them was that well you know when you fold in social justice matters and black lives matter issues and you have players taking the knee or whatever that there's that attitude of look i don't want politics in this just i just want my sport and it was an opinion that was amplified by Trump, certainly, and other other people who would think that way. And it kind of lingered on over the course of the summer. And this idea of like, is that actually the case? Because ultimately, when it comes down to it, these guys are about dollars and cents, you know, the people who put on these events. And But then when you actually look at the full ratings and Sports Media Watch do the like a full ratings book. So the Masters was 51% down on ratings um, and 48% down in viewership from Tiger last year, which is, you would expect it to be lower. That's fine. But it's the fourth, it had a drop that was the fourth biggest of the four, of four sporting events. The Stanley Cup, the Preakness Stakes, which is part of the, the horse racing Triple Crown, and then the US Open final round, which had a 56% drop on the equivalent round last year. Now, 
what all of those events have in common is the complete absence of any social justice issues attached to them. And, you know, like the Stanley Cup, ice hockey is not something that takes on, that is, you know, it's not, it's not a particularly, it's not a sport that kind of leads the charge on, on, on social justice. Um, horse racing, neither. The US Open golfers uh, obviously was very kind of timid in its response. But what these drop-offs show is, is that it kind of makes a nonsense of that. Oh, you know, it's those damn social justice warriors. I just want to watch my sports, which is basically it just makes a lie of that, that, that the drop-off in viewerships to the, of the major leagues of baseball or, or the NBA had nothing to do with Black Lives Matter or social justice issues, nothing at all, just the nature of the year that it was and, mm. and the p- particular way that we've had to enjoy sport without fans, in limited formats, so on and so forth. So I just thought that was an interesting reveal. And the Masters just kind of lends credence to that argument. Yes, not a surprising reveal either, I would say. Well, certainly what it does is, no, not, probably not, but like, because all the while, but it still kind of sticks in your craw. You're like, okay, so hang on a second. So because a baseball player might take a knee that somehow, oh, I'm turning this off. I'm not going to watch this. Just, I just don't buy it. No. Like, it just seems such a nonsense argument to make. No, it was never true. I Maybe I just had overdosed on the Masters. I didn't particularly watch any of the RSM, I have to say. I don't know, did you guys feel the need to? So I, I watched I don't a tiny a... bit of it because okay. I said Fleetwood no. was playing and, and it, it had a nice finish. And, you know, and, and as much as like, look, I wouldn't have paid Streb any heed, but like once you hear his story that he was ranked so low that yeah. he gets his two-year exemption, he's going to play in the Masters. Like what's not to like about a guy who from bad luck to a slice of good fortune. Peter, it really is like winning the lottery. I mean, for someone like Streb now, he just goes home and he just says, we did it. We're home and host. It's another two years. I mean, it's just unbelievable, the perks of a win. You can change your whole career, but you can change your whole couple of years. You you now can set a schedule. You now you're in certain tournaments. The mortgage people are off your back, um, et cetera, et cetera. He can go for club deals. You probably get an extra few quid on whatever clubs he was using. And it, it is. It's like, you know, your your six numbers come up in the lottery and you're good for another two years. And it gives you a bit of confidence as well to saying, wow. But that's, therein lies the problem with golf. And, and, and it's the draw for so many young guys who turn pro um, and they watch these golf tournaments and they see the guy who was 600th in the world winning and winning 1.8 million and, you know, he's set for life, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but the percentage of successful stories are so few in comparison to all the failures that are out there or the guys who are just just don't make it guys and girls who just don't make it is is shocking mm. um uh, and, and it's great on one end but it's it, it's very bad on the other it was a week for the underdog because at the joburg open joe chum hansen age 30 he is 267th in the world to robert streb's 367th it was extraordinary so he won as well so it was just that kind of a week it's worth mentioning from the Joburg opening, and we're going to see more of this guy because he's playing this week at Leopard Creek. Uh, remember the name. Remember the name. Wilco 
Nienabear. Wilco Nienabear. So Wilco is 20 years of age. He is South African. If the name doesn't ring a bell on your Twitter feed, you will almost certainly have seen his drive last week at the Joburg Open. 439 yards, even allowing for the 10% that altitude would have added. We're talking something pretty scary here. So he turned pro last year and straight away, longest average on the European Tour at 341 yards. So Bryson is a measly 337. So I make it that Wilco has four yards average on Bryson, 341 yard average. Six foot two, lean, strong, long levers, the modern day prototype. He finished second. He didn't win the tournament. But on that par five, for instance, it was 600 yards long. And he hit driver gap wedge and eagle putt. <laughs> Did you see But the ease of his swing, though? He wasn't yeah. going this guy, hard. This isn't no. a Bryson DeChambeau, I look like my body is going to disintegrate as I swing kind of a swing. I'm not going to say effortless, clearly. But it's, um, it's in control. This guy is natural. Um, I saw a swing in slow motion. Um, and I actually uh, took a, a picture on my phone, a screenshot on my phone of his impact position. And the top of his backswing and his impact position. And they are unbelievable. Um, how much power he creates uh, naturally swinging the club the way he does. It's just phenomenal. Um, and if he holds his head together... This guy will be the next Ernie Els coming from South Africa. It just looks so good. Mm. But trust me, there has been many from South Africa who are like this um, and are as good as this guy and have fallen by the wayside. Um, whether they get too involved, money comes too quickly to them, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but this guy looks like he could be a world beater. I haven't paused his swing at the top or looked at his impact position. Is he? I'll, I'll send him to you later yeah. on. It's is, he, just is, he, is he quirky? Is he quir when you say phenomenal? Is it quirky and is very much his own, or is it more closer no, to like no. textbook positions? This is this is Iron Byron stuff. Um, how good it is! Right. Um, his impact position, where it, it just everything is gone and the club is just coming back. You know, it's just the power that he has. Mm. It's incredible. Well, I'm so if he's three, four, one yard average and he's ahead of Bryson, he is a uh, Wilco Nienabear at 20 years of age, one year into his uh, professional career. He is the longest driver in the world of professional golf. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't go too much on the European Tour stats for driving distance. They only take two holes each each tournament. Um, okay. So it's not it's not a done uh, over an average. Um, so there's, there's the stats in Europe are totally different to the ones right. in the states. That's he won the um, he won the amateur South African Open last year, and they've been heralding his his play, well his length for. But obviously, we are only getting wind of it on the back of his performance at the Joburg Open. Yeah, but yeah. Well, I, I can tell you. Sorry, this this tournament coming up in Leopard Creek, this will really suit him. Yeah, this golf course is right up his alley. I'll ask you about that in a sec, because Kieran Deneen says, have you seen his swing? It barely looks like he is swinging fast. This is on YouTube. People are watching in various places. And Ferg Lachey, very similar to Tony Fee now. And he says, have you seen the length of his arms? Long levers. I mean, it's only since I started playing golf, I realized I have very short arms. And <laughs> now it's something I'm kind of not obsessed with, but I'm aware of at all times. 
Uh, it's upsetting. You've got long arms, Peter. I presume you know that, don't you? Uh, longish arms, yes. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You do. Longer than the average person. So yeah. you've got those long levers. Just hanging out from the ceiling, you know. Not like not not like little T Rex over here. <laughs> yes. Um just a little uh, Irish link to I just had to Google it, but uh, Kieran McMonagall, Irish pro, he won the South African Amateur Open in uh, two thousand. Right. Yep. So Leopard Creek, I was watching a little bit this morning just to get a, a feel for the course. Alfred Dunhill is on there. There's lots of wildlife around. I mean, it seems <laughs> like Peter I mean <laughs> You know, you look like a lion walking across the fairway. Uh, I, I played this tournament probably eight, nine times. What was your best finish? Oh, I, rubbish. I can't remember. Not good. Um, I, I played with Ernie actually in one of the rounds, right. maybe on a Saturday or Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but he had he has a house on the golf course. Uh, Ernie does. Um, Johan Rupert is a, uh, the main man there. Um, who runs the Dunhill in in um, Scotland? You know the Dunhill that they play the with the amateurs. Um, but it's one of those places where uh, me personally, I'm scared stiff going to. Um, I'm not good with nature, um, and every place that you stay in has nature somewhat involved in it. Um, it's not like your normal hotel. Uh, there was a hotel on the entrance to the Cougar National Park. Uh, you go into your reception and then you have little lodges around. Now, I suppose little lodges would be rooms with um, uh, wooden kind of roofs on them where you'd see the geckos. Um, so in night times, it could be a gecko running up the walls. Uh, a few people had scorpions in their rooms, uh, snakes. Um, so as much as I liked the place, um, it, it wasn't my favorite accommodation. Let's put it that way. But great golf course, fantastic golf course, uh, tough, um, brilliant greens. And you, you get this wonderful view of Kruger National Park on um, a couple of the holes that you overlook. Um, and it's just incredible to see nature there. You get lions, tigers, hippos, bears, bears, crocodiles, you name it, it's there. (laughs) Yeah, they've redone the greens, by the way, I I suspect, since you've been there. They're now running uh, well over 13 on the stint meter this week. Yeah, they used to be always fast. Yeah. Um, Great place. Mm. Can I ask uh, Peter an unrelated question? Uh, So I watched the Challenge Tour this week. And they did at the grand final from uh, Mallorca, I think it was. And do you, can you comment on the state of the challenge tour? I haven't followed it in a few years, but like the one thing that struck me was that, well, the quality of play was very high, but the leaderboards are dominated by Scandinavians, a couple of Germans. And like, and obviously like these are all like, I mean, top, top guys, but like, is there, is it a good, indicator of future performances on the European tour? Uh, very much so. Um, over uh, over the year, majority of guys who get their card from Challenge Tour would stay up in, in comparison to a very, very low percentage coming from Tour School. Um, because you're based over a certain you know period of time, you, you get used to playing four rounds. Uh, you get used to the tournament format. 
Um, the golf courses are not set up as difficult, um, just depending on where you are. Challenger used to go to many far-flung places. Um, the European Tour has kind of uh, encroached on the Challenge Tour a little bit too much to salvage their season where they co-sanctioned Kenya this year. That was, that was, it used to be a good challenge to our event. You know, there was decent money in it. Um, where else did they go? A lot of China, they were in China twice. I think challenge to were. they were in Azerbaijan. Um, they used to go to far flung places. Wow. Um, and quite difficult to get to, but golf courses were normally quite good. One of the things I noticed is that like you had three kinds of carry. You had players with caddies, players who put their bag on a trolley, and then there was actual players who carried. Mm. I was just like, what on earth would you carry for? Because there's no, you don't have any money. That's why. Just, like, here's the thing. Here's the four quid to get the trolley. I'm sure the golf course will give you the trolley for nothing. No, some people prefer to carry. You walk less. Um carrying your own bag you get used to it uh, especially young guys they, they'd they be carrying their bag at home yeah um, and the same thing I it would just the only the only reason of course you're absolutely correct but the only thought that occurred to me was is that when you want to give yourself the absolute best chance of winning like lugging a tour bag even though you have it on forks or whatever like are you not putting yourself at a slight disadvantage to play against the very very best players in Europe, of course you are, yeah. But a lot of people just don't have the money, and and they wouldn't have a tour bag. They'd have a light carry bag. A light carry bag on the forks, yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Majority of the times, I know um, Joe Malloy would one hundred percent have a caddy. I'm now at the point where I'm thinking about getting one of those battery operated things. You're trolleys. at that point. <laughs> I, yeah. I I passed that point about a year and a half ago. Yeah, I think yeah. I might have to. I think I might have to. Kieran, by the way, on YouTube says the patrons of Sparwell are thrilled now that the three knocks on the door back door is no longer required from next week. <laughs> I mean, everyone's thrilled with that. The uh, secrecy was getting too much. Forget presents and Xmas dinner. He says golf is back. Uh, Michael Delaney, Scandinavian youth system is one of the best in the world. Didn't realize that. And Jonathan Kennedy over in the long hole in NYC. Uh, how did Peter's picks do at the Masters? That's a good question, uh, Jonathan. I know Kokrak finished in about 155 over, so that one didn't go so well. No. Um, my my top two didn't go well. I, I did state that a rookie would win, um, and he finished second. So that's life. <laughs> So look, we'll keep an eye. I mean, I'm, I do want to get a look at Wilco and Nienna Bear uh, this week. That's it. So you've played with Els at um, Leopard Creek because I, I remember you playing with Els on a Saturday or a Sunday at Wentworth as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was discussing with myself in Leopard Creek. I, he, had, he had about a 15-footer for Eagle on the Saturday. It's funny the way things stick in your head. Um, on the 18th, and I'm in the bunker in two and tough bunker shot and I hit the shot and you know the way it then occurs to you what you should have done because I covered his line with sand and not thinking I should have went no Ernie you go first because I'm going to cover your line with sand anyway he missed and did he give but you a dirty look no 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 I apologize before he even had a chance to give me the dirty look <laughs> Ernie 
Ernie, Ernie, Ernie. He breaks my heart in a way. Are we saying unfulfilled talent? You've played up close with him. Three majors? Uh, I just think he was in the era, era of Tiger. He didn't play as well as he possibly should have when Tiger played. He had, he, he, he got succumbed to the Tiger factor, I think. Yeah. Tiger did seem to get into his head, didn't he? Yeah. Very much so. Was that Leopard Creek when you played with Els? Was that 2015? I can't remember, Phil. No, 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 no. It was be it was before that. No, no it was yeah. No, Why did you ask him? No, just that because didn't you DQ yourself at Q school that year? Yeah, or yeah. I went to. I remember I got an invite to play. I think in 2015 in Leopard Creek, and you travel all the way to South Africa. You stay in. I stayed in a lovely house, but I was scared stiffless or stiff because of the echoes. Let's say the surroundings. <laughs> um, so I stand on the first tee and the first tee it was on a downslope but it used oh it's the smallest tiny little tee that they use on the first tee and of course I'm thinking to myself well I just hit three wood up there no 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 I've travelled all this way stop right you know you've driven it really nicely uh, in practice rounds straight right lost ball stand up again straight right lost ball oh my god and I've just travelled whatever many 15 hours down here to get here to a place that I don't really feel comfortable staying in, but a great golf course. And I'm now playing five off the tee. So that's horrendous. Oh, it was just shocking. And what but happened to your Q school that year? Oh, I, I tried to, um, I tried glasses, right? Um, yeah, I, I was going through the phase. I, I've spoken about this before. I tried everything to get back to normality, you know, what I saw normality. Um, and my eyesight was deteriorating. Um, and it was one eye particular. And um, I, I couldn't get it laser. I had done laser surgery twice and I didn't want to, I, they wouldn't do it again on my left eye. So I decided to wear glasses. Um, so I went down and I said, right, I'm going to wear glasses this week. Try them on, Grant. Um, first round, okay. Second round, okay. Third round, it was like I was blinded. Um, I couldn't see the hole. I couldn't see the ball. And I just eventually, I just, I think I had four-putted the 14th hole or something like that. And I just, it was, it got embarrassing. Um, and I just said, look, forget it. I, I DQ'd myself. So that was it. That was rock bottom right there. Jesus. I would well imagine so. Yeah. Playing with Ernie. So look, he's in my top five swings, you know, just gorgeous yeah. to watch. So yeah. give us a sense of what it's like to play with him. And you know, he's a big man. I mean, when you see Ernie, he's a huge man. He's tall and he's wide and he's a big presence. Was the putting always an Achilles heel? Was the swing, you know, as, as gorgeous in person when you're playing with him? Even better. Rhythm was just superb. Uh, never looked like he tried to hit it hard. It was always, it was just like a little clap, you know, clip off the surface. Um, driver the exact same. Um, putting, yeah, he was never the very best at it. Um, he wasn't bad at it, but um, it was probably his Achilles heel, all right. Mm. Um, but wonderful guy to play with. Good, good chat on the golf course. Um when he used to have a his local caddy down there, Simon, 
um, was one of his caddies. Um, Simon used to have a, a a beautiful gold tooth on the front. That was that was his show of uh, that he was worth it. He was from Soweto, um, but Simon was one of the nicest guys you'd meet. Um, he caddied for Ernie when he and um, when he grew up, and then every time Ernie went back to South Africa, Simon okay. would be on the bag. Um, nice. And what, when, you, when you say good shot on the course, what do you consider as a pro good shot? I well, chat every hole. You know, we, we talk about whatever. About maybe 12 years ago, when Cape Verde was going to be the next Canaries, and there was a, remember the property developers from Cork who had all that investment? Yes. In yeah, Cape yeah. Verde. So they, I went down just to have a look at it as, as a travel journalist. And I can't even remember the name of the company, but they'd engaged the services of Ernie and they were going to build a golf course on one of the islands and Ernie was going to be the the face or the name to promote the golf course. So on a patch of dirt where the golf course would eventually be, they had like a, a tee and Ernie was hitting the ceremonial tee shot that would launch the construction of this golf course. And so there was all of us, it must've been, I don't know, maybe a hundred people all around this, this um, temporary tee box. And so we hit this beautiful, just like, you know, as Joe said, you know, this wonderfully languid swing with enormous power and just, you could see, watch the ball sail away, big round of applause. And then afterwards, so I got a chance to talk to him and, I said to him, it's just like when you're just as you're about to hit that first tee, like what's the thought that's in your head? And he kind of gives a smile and he goes, I just want to hit the ball, man. That's all I think about. He's just want to hit the ball. <laughs> and later on that evening, you know, we were all gathered in like a local restaurant for like a big thing. And he was the most amenable fella. And my, my favorite takeaway from it was, is that like someone at the table said something and he was just chatting away and, and he goes, so Ernie, like when you're when you're away from the golf course, like what are you into? And he goes, oh, beers and brai, man, beers and brai. That's mm-hmm. all he said. It just made me laugh. And he, but he was that, you know, that brai as in South African barbecue. And he was such an affable guy. And even though there was loads of people pummeling him with questions, because this was not long after his his uh, issues at the Open and you know, the, the kind of disappointing rivalry with Tiger. And so Ernie was still very much, and he had no problems talking about any of it. Mm. It was, I have to say, he was such a, he was really, really nice fella. Yeah. I've, really seen, him at, I've, I've seen him at Irish Opens and he's great with the crowd. Really good yeah. guy. Yeah. I was, I mean, as, as sad as you kind of were for Adam Scott in 12, Ernie deserved another major. Oh yeah. You know, he was just yeah. that brilliant. He was just that brilliant. So to, to bring this all to a close then, other bits and bobs, the match three is match on three. tomorrow in Arizona. There's no tiger. New. I mean, that, that as you're kind of, will I flick around, will I find this, that, that looms large in your thinking. Well, it's Phil with Charles Barkley against Steph Curry and Peyton Manning. I mean, so one professional golfer. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see a bit of Steph Curry because I hear great things. And Peyton Manning played so badly the last time, I'm curious to see if he blows up again. The Charles Barkley routine, I mean, I'm saying now, oh, I'm not that bothered. Maybe at the time it'll be funny, but that's on tomorrow if you're into it. So, But he can't play golf. I know he can't. He can't. It's like, he can't. He it's, can't. Like it's weird. It's a, it, I, I mean, Justin, sure. Justin Thomas could have been drafted in here somewhere, but uh, there we go. 
I was reading that, so Brian Zurif, who's the executive producer of the match, he, he was speaking to CNBC and he said, well, it might not necessarily be a bad thing that Woods is not involved this time around. <laughs> and you're like, really? Oh, okay. Um, you know, given the, the draw that Tiger Woods pulls is like, I don't know. Um, I mean, but he does say, look, I think it's more than just golf. And Tiger is the greatest golfer of all time. But to spend three hours with these guys in the golf carts where they should open up, you don't get that with Tiger. You don't. And you didn't. And that is true. You didn't get that the last time. No. Though, I think you still got an insight into him. Is he like a shyer person in some ways then yeah. you realize? Like when Phil, Phil so quick-witted fires him shots all the time, sometimes Woods... You, you got small insights. Like you could see one Woods necessarily didn't know what to come back to with Phil sometimes. But other times, just how much he enjoyed Phil. That was what I took from the last yeah. time, you know. Um, I look, you you want Tiger there. Even if he's saying nothing, he's still the most interesting person there. You're, you're still the guy you're watching yeah, every absolutely. moment. Yeah. Um, the more interesting thing will be when yeah. he plays with his son. Uh, oh, his Charlie. father and son. Yeah. Against the Harringtons. Well, he's playing. He's not playing against the Harringtons. The, know, the, the Harringtons are going to play. Yeah. Uh, there was build up. It was Tiger against. Boy, <laughs> How bad are the press these days? The um, press are awesome. You stop that now. Just, yeah. Okay. Anyway, the um, can I just one little bit of good news in this yeah. year of just appalling, repeatedly bad, bad news. Mm-hmm. So these are U.S. figures, but in August alone, consumers spent a record $331 million on clubs, balls, gloves, and other gear, which is 32%, so a third, nearly a third, over the year-ago period last year and topped previous sales record for that month in 2006, which is the last time the numbers were that high. Good. Um, So basically, people stuck at home, bored, senseless, are just Mm -hmm. spending money on golf equipment. And that... Obviously, I was the first person I thought of was you, Peter. That must be, I mean, when the when the driving range is allowed to be open, but it must have you must have been flooded with people. Previous to lockdown, yeah, we were we were very busy. Mm. Uh, we were very busy, and and hopefully we will be busy again now because yeah. people won't be able to get out on the golf courses with limited hours of time, That's limited right. time sheets. Um, golf courses are going to be soft, wet. Mm. frost whatever it may be you know we're hoping we'll have a bumper december no it'll make up for me the um, i was just going to say philip reed had a piece as an example in the irish Mm. times uh, le hinch obviously they're very reliant on well the americans coming over and all that stuff but uh, they're having their general meeting on thursday and there'll be a projected deficit of 2.7 million euro in green fees and associated revenue. So suddenly 2.7 million that they would have had is uh, gone kaput. So they'll be digging into some of their reserves. Uh, now, Lynch, such a brilliant club and hosted such a great Irish Open, will withstand that. But um, it's a little insight into what lots of clubs are facing, no doubt. Well, I, I think absolutely. But you make the point, Joe, and you're right, is that Lynch, along with those kind of prestige courses yeah. that do have a large appeal for the inbound golf tourist whereas you know the local track on the edge of town you know that doesn't rely on on americans or whatever like will perhaps do better yeah relatively speaking yeah i would think um, so the other thing as well is just in terms of the statistics that i was looking at is um there's a 75 percent jump in the sale of training tools such as like hitting screens swing aids putting mats 
Um, and also as well is that certainly in the US is the proliferation of people getting out for nine holes and which gives credence or greater credence to the argument that maybe, you know, 18 holes is a lot of commitment. It's a lot of hours in the day. And so, you know, should nine holes become a more a norm for, you know, just recreational golf mm. um, rather than 18? Um, so that's what they're saying is that they have uh, short loops. Short loops have gone up by 20%. It's the oh. way of the future. Oh, the phone's already no ringing. Booking already. Yeah, that, yeah, imagine that somebody ringing, wondering, that's, are we probably open or not? That's yeah. the secret code. Three rings and hang up, and then Peter goes around to the back door. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's it. It's like, Luckily, I put up the answering machine before we started. So. Oh, good man. So well, look, we're, we're, we're pretty much good to let you go. Hey, that's great that you're open. So you're open from Tuesday, did you say? I, well, we'll know on Friday whether we're okay, allowed sorry. open or not. But I would presume it's Tuesday presuming okay. it's Tuesday. Okay. Well, Golf Weekly, as ever, was with thanks to Now TV. You can stream Premier League, Serie A, EFL Championships and more with the Sky, Score, the Sky yes, Sports Pass. We will get on to James uh, Sugru actually, and get him on and hear about playing mm -hmm. Augusta. That would be a really cool chat. Uh, in the meantime, Fionn, thank you. Peter, thank you. We will thanks, talk to you thanks, next James. week. See you next Thursday. OTV Sports Golf Weekly with Now TV. Stream the Premier League, Serie A and EFL Championships live on Now TV. Your sport on your terms.